0: The Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet. Well, good morning. Um, it was about, I think, five years ago, maybe
1: six, that uh, I was sitting on my front porch one day, and I looked out and saw a vine growing. And those of you who know me know I love working in the yard, and and I know everything in my yard, what it is, where it's growing, and And there is a a large holly tree that is not in my yard. It is in the yard, or not the yard, but it's in uh, the uh, area next to my house. It doesn't belong to me. It stands almost as tall as my house, which is two stories tall. And the vine was growing up that holly tree. And I I thought to myself, I wonder what that is. I I wonder uh, who planted it. It it was... uh, growing up the trunk, just uh, climbing that uh, large holly tree. Well, all summer, that vine climbed that holly tree, and then I watched it, and it came out, and it grew out to the edge of the holly tree, and uh, uh, it may have grown into other parts of it, still having no clue what it was, this vine growing in this holly tree. Well, then it Got to be around late September when I noticed something growing on the vine. Not on the ground, but about 20 feet up in that tree, maybe 15 feet up in the tree. And it was round and uh, it got bigger and bigger and bigger and it was a pumpkin. (laughs) I lie, you not. Sue, my neighbor, shaking her head. She just gave it the old pointed finger, yes, it was a pumpkin. That pumpkin, about 15 feet high in that tree, grew to be about this big, so much so that uh, You know, I was concerned about when will it fall out of the tree. And then it dawned on me, well, every year uh, we set out a few decorative pumpkins out front. And I just have a habit of, you know, how they get mushy, you know, when they've sat out too long. And I'll just go throw it under the tree. And so it rotted, the seeds came up, and the vine grew up, and it grew out the tree. And I've told people that story, and they look at me uh, with this incredulous look on their face like, you're kidding me. You, this, this can't be true. Uh, uh, so much so that Channel 13, I sent them the picture, and they put it on <laughs> because they couldn't believe that a pumpkin would hang there. It eventually fell. Thankfully, nobody was underneath. Uh, But but it eventually fell. Some things are uh, must-see-it-to-believe, aren't they? And we encounter a man whom I think you have more in common with than you realize. His name is Thomas, and um, Thomas and Jesus have a meeting. It's an interesting one that follows Jesus' meeting with all of his disciples except for Judas, who's dead, and Thomas, who is uh, uh, not there. We're not sure why. We never learned this. Uh, John 20, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That's a week earlier. On Resurrection Sunday, Jesus showed up to the ten. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's a strong word. I looked it up in the Greek, and it is actually a combination of two words, both of which mean no. And when you put the two words together, it is the strongest no you could say meaning not at all, by no means is what it means. This isn't the first time Thomas has struggled with Jesus. I think that's important to note. John 14 is a passage that is often read at funeral services. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be what? Afraid. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, or as the old King James says, are many mansions. If it were not so, Jesus is talking here, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And who spoke up? Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, uh, so how can we know the way? I feel like Thomas, kind of like Peter, says what everybody else is thinking. Don't you? I feel like both of those disciples are the ones whose uh, mouth may run just a tad faster than their brains. And everybody else whose brain is getting there is glad that they're, they're saying it. Jesus said to him, one of the greatest statements that I'm convinced that has ever come out of Jesus' mouth, I am the what? The, the, that's what Lori led us to sing about. I believe you are the way. I believe you are the truth. I believe you are the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. It was a claim to deity by Jesus as a result of Thomas's statement that I'm convinced probably others were too afraid to ask, but Thomas did. Uh, he needed concrete evidence, Thomas. We see how Jesus responded the first time. He didn't rebuke Thomas, did he? Thomas was looking for a physical way, and Jesus said, "No, I'm a personal way." Thomas was looking for a roadmap, and Jesus said, "I am the roadmap." Let's get back now to to the disciples having gathered. Jesus is resurrected. He's died. He's resurrected. The disciples have gathered, and it's eight days later. All right, so this is a bit confusing. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but but the uh, Israelites, the Jews, count days and weeks inclusively, meaning that when they say eight days, they start with Sunday and end with Sunday. That's a week. So this is one week from resurrection. Eight days later... His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. This also is one of the reasons there are many that Christians meet on Sunday today, Uh, this thought of Resurrection Sunday. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Five of Jesus' appearances happened on Resurrection Sunday. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, honestly, as much as I've studied Scripture until this series, I never had studied them. Mary Magdalene, and then some other women, the two on the Emmaus Road, Peter, and ten disciples, all on the day he rose from the dead, Jesus came out of the tomb with a job to do, didn't he? And when he did, it was no longer the crowds. If you're sitting in the room this morning and you feel a bit slighted by Jesus, you feel that, that, that you need some attention from him, could I say that he is an attention-paying Jesus Uh, If you just look at these five appearances post-resurrection, he's not going. I mean, could you imagine if he went into a large arena, this man who was dead but is alive, this man who was crucified but now is walking around, he could have filled amphitheaters with so many people, but he finds Mary Magdalene, he finds some other women who were followers, he finds the two on the Emmaus Road. Uh, I just want you to hear from me this morning that I believe as we walked up and down the rows and prayed for you before you walked in this place that Jesus just might have an appointment with somebody in the room this morning. I believed that with everything in me. I was walking with other people before this service began, and we were walking through, praying for you as you would come in this place. And I looked down, and I saw concrete, and I looked up, and I saw metal, and I looked around, and I saw more colors of chairs than there are colors in the rainbow. And I said to the Lord, Lord, it's amazing that you would condescend to meet with us in a place like this with people like us on a little road on the side of a road that you would come down. Folks, isn't that amazing? Don't you love that Jesus still longs to come down and walk among us and be right here in the middle of us? So amazing. And now it's a week later, and it's Thomas. There are 11 disciples. They're afraid. They're in a room with the doors locked. They've seen Rome do something awful. Their leader has been crucified, though resurrected. And Jesus doesn't need a key. Wouldn't you like to have him when you've lost your keys? He doesn't need an open door. And I love what Dave just shared. He doesn't even need an invitation. Two weeks ago, Wendy and I, had gone to be with our family across the mountain, my brother and some others, we decided to drive back the Asheville Way. She was driving. We had music playing when Jesus decided that he would drop down in that little car. say, how do you know it was him? I just knew. The music is playing and I'm singing and she's singing and, and the song was from my phone and it just hit repeat because it was the only one in the queue. And when it did, we just kept singing and and the spirit was so sweet in that car, and we just hit another song, and when we did, we just kept singing. And I cannot describe anything to you other than it was almost a palpable presence of Jesus. We didn't pull off in an exit. We, we, we didn't stop at a rest area because he sent us a text saying to meet him there. No, he, through the spirit, just came right into our car and he just uh, ministered to us. It was a sweet time with just the two of us, but it was a sweet time with the three of us. You may hear that and go, well, I think you're an idiot. And some people would. I get that. I have a lot of education. I've had more than one person Some kindly, some not so kindly say to me, how can you be so educated? How can you have so much education, so many degrees, and still believe? I've discovered through the years that the more I study, the more I believe I've discovered through the years that the more I'm in his word and the more that I walk with him, like that old song says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. There's something about the Lord that the longer I study, I don't disprove him. I've discovered him to be more true than ever. What does Jesus say to them? I I wish you knew Jesus like this. He didn't call Thomas out. He said, peace be with you. Some of you are afraid to doubt. You're afraid to verbalize your doubting. We welcome you, doubters. And then Jesus turns his attention to Thomas. I I love this about him. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Believe. What's astounding is there's no record of the disciples telling, Tom, telling Jesus about Thomas. And what could possibly be entering Thomas's mind is that when Thomas verbalized this to the disciples, that he would never believe unless he touched, unless he saw that Jesus was there too. And he heard him say it. Now I've discovered in my life, and and some of you will resonate, that there are times I'm glad Jesus is there, and there are times I wished He wasn't. And and if you say I've never had those times, you're lying. All right. There are times I I long for his presence, and there are times when his presence is convicting, isn't it? Uh, There's also no record. I know artists have rendered this for centuries like this, but there's no record of Thomas even touching Jesus anywhere in, in the Scriptures. There's no record that Thomas was like, okay, let me touch. No, there was something about his very presence I think Thomas believed because he saw a once dead man now living. He saw a dead man who was now alive. And Jesus said, Do not disbelieve, but believe. This could be reworded. Do not be an unbeliever, be a believer. I also think Thomas believed because Jesus knew what he had said, and he thought Jesus had to be reading my mind, he had to be present. I was a grad student. Those of you who know me know a bit of my story, but I landed at the University of South Carolina with some serious doubts. My doubts arose because my plan for my life and my life were off, and I couldn't figure God out in that. over the last 26 27 years of ministry now I've sat down with teenagers who had that with senior adults who've lost a loved one and all of a sudden they've walked with God for a long time but when their dear wife died doubt crept in and for me that's where I was and I remember lying on the sofa. I come to faith in Jesus. I, I like Thomas, had followed Jesus. Like Thomas, I, I could witness to some great things Jesus had done in my life. I, but, but I was doubting. I remember lying on the sofa, and I looked up at the ceiling, and I prayed this prayer. I was all alone in my apartment that, that night. It was a Saturday night, as I recall. And I said, Lord, uh, or God, I didn't say Lord. I said, God, I don't know who you are or what you're up to in my life, but I know I need you. That's all I said. There was nothing profound about that. It was like a kid crying for a bottle. A girl I dated in college invited me to a church She had said, they have hundreds of singles. I was so focused. I said to her, we weren't dating at the time. We just happened to live in the same apartment complex. She in grad school, I in grad school. And I said to her, I didn't come to Columbia to meet a wife. I came to get a degree. That's how focused I was. Next morning, I show up at Shandon Church in Columbia, I still remember Walter Gilliam preaching, not the pastor. Hundreds of people across multiple services. There I sat. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when I sat there, I wondered, how did he know what I said and did last night? How is it that, how is it that I'm sitting in here and I just lay on my sofa and cried out to God, the night before, and the next morning I'm sitting with thousands of people, and somehow God loves me enough to walk into a room with the doors locked and closed of my heart and say, I heard you last night, and here's your answer, and here's your message, and here's a word from God to you, and that day, I remember leaving that big old place, and I went back to my apartment, and I pulled off of a shelf my Bible, King James, That's all I had and all we could read growing up, and so I pulled it down, and I thought, I don't even know where to start, and I went to the book of Genesis, and I began to read, and I couldn't stop, and I read, and I read, and I read, and I got to the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and I went, who is this guy? And I got a little notebook and I started writing things down having no idea that the Lord was just giving me sermon material just a year before he would call me to preach. What I'm saying to you this morning is that there are times in life where where your idea for your life and God's idea for your life don't seem to line up. I just think it is in those times, verbalized, that Jesus longs to step into. Thomas doubts don't deter Jesus. Neither do yours. He's not walking away. Some of you may have read the works of Lee Strobel. Case for Christ, Case for Creator, Case for the Bible. Strobel has been described in the Washington Post as one of the evangelical community's most popular apologists. And if you don't know that word, that's somebody who defends the gospel. He went to the University of Missouri. In Yale Law School, a bright man became a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, went in Illinois' highest honors for investigative reporting and public service journalism. He was an atheist. And so he set out to disprove Christianity, a two-year venture, He would disprove Jesus, he said. And after two years, he said the evidence as an investigative reporter is so overwhelmingly for the historicity of Jesus, I can't continue. And he changed his focus while God changed his heart. Thomas did the same. He responded with what scholars say, and I agree, is the greatest confession of Jesus in the Gospels. My Lord and my God, he said. No one has addressed Jesus like this before. The greatest doubter became the greatest believer. My Lord, he says, and my God. Uh, there's, There are two or three things quite significant about that. My. When I, when I talk to somebody to, to figure out where they are with Jesus, I listen for that personal pronoun. Is he their Lord? Is he their God? My. Uh, the word Lord means master. Um, I want you to hear me. If you're here this morning and you've not yet become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to give you the anti-sale for a moment. It isn't the easiest road. If you're single, you will have to live differently. You won't always be popular. As a matter of fact, you may never be. Um, Jesus called it taking up your cross and dying to yourself, and following Him. None of which seems appealing. It means that Jesus calls the shots. It's what it means. God means that Jesus is God. Not just the Father, God the Father, God the Spirit, Jesus is God the Son. Uh, This means Thomas followed him for three years and didn't know who he was. That's what it means. Remember Jesus' words to Thomas and the other disciples back in John 14? I want to bounce back there for a moment. Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to, uh, let me back up. I love it when I'm preaching and I see something I never saw until I'm right here. Jesus said to, what does it say? All right, say that loud. Jesus said to who? Who's him? Wow. I've always thought that was them. Of course it's them, but it's him. And by the him, them get it. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, Thomas didn't know him then, did he? He followed him but didn't really know him. I I did that for about eight years. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus was saying, I'm God. Thomas didn't believe it then, but now he does. Jesus said to him, back now to a week after the resurrection, have you believed, Thomas, because you've seen me? And then he says to you, blessed is Roger. Roger. And Dean and Beth and Miriam and Bugs and Pody, Steve and Allison, who have not seen and yet You put blessed on the front. It's called a beatitude. This is a a pronounced blessing. Jesus blessed you if you believe. There are various historic records and traditions, so I'll qualify it with that. Because there's a mix of history and tradition here. So, meaning the historicity cannot be fully proven. But it's written. That indicate that Thomas traveled by sea to India in 52 AD. And that he was later martyred and buried there while witnessing to the Indian people. As a matter of fact, the tomb of St. Thomas is in Malapur, India. A poet whose name is St. Ephraim recorded in his hymns and poetry that Thomas was a part of miracles in the Indian city of Edessa. A Syrian ecclesiastical calendar has an entry which reads, on July 3rd, St. Thomas, who was pierced with a lance in India. There's historicity and tradition that comes together. What we can say is Thomas believed, what it appears to be is that his belief led him all the way to India where he became a missionary and a martyr. Let me speak for just a moment to parents of doubting children. They could be missionaries in the making. Don't despair, don't let their doubts dissuade you. I've met many a godly person who at some point doubted. Let me speak to folks that for years I've admired, I think more than any others who come to this church, wives who come without their husbands. Sometimes getting children ready alone Husbands not believing. Don't let his doubts dilute your teaching to your children. It could be when your sons and daughters grow up to know and love Jesus, he will too one day be encouraged. Tim Keller writes, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Aren't you glad? Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Let me read that one more time. As with most things with Keller, they need about four runs. It is not the strength of your faith, But the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Someone ask, and we're done for this. I don't want you to be trite about it at all. I've shared a bit of my story. There are people from all walks of life in this room, all ages and stages, if you are here, and you are currently a follower of Jesus, and you have ever, by reason of whatever, gone through a season of doubting your faith, would you stand? Jesus, your grace its amazing. Right now, I'm brought to tears that of the sound of the standing. That you, with these people, who have driven in cars and found a place to sit, And at some point, you didn't stop. You didn't quit. You pursued. I pray for any doubters in the room who are in that place right now that that sound, That sound, that thunderous sound of just your people standing would comfort them that you've not given up on them, nor are you about to. And all God's people say a resounding amen. Amen. This morning, if you have
2: yet... To receive the invitation that Jesus is extending to you to know him as Savior, personal Savior and Lord. Have your sins forgiven and be promised an amazing inheritance in heaven. You can have that this morning. I'm going to ask if you are interested or God is calling on your heart to know more about Jesus or to know him this morning, go to Next Steps. We have people over there who will be ready to share Jesus with you and lead you to faith in Christ couple of things before you go. If you're new to Grace this morning, we're glad to have you. We're honored that you would join us. There are two areas, uh, heading out to that parking lot and heading out to the back parking lot, that you can stop. We have a gift for you. And I would love to get to know you. Two announcements before you go. The first is life group signups are still going on today to start next week. So the spring semester for our life groups here begin next week. If you're interested in being in a life group, go to Next Steps, sign up over there. And then also, uh, we every about three or four years or so, we take a trip to Israel uh, to, to take a trip around the Holy Land. We have an interest meeting for that trip coming up on uh, April 24th. At 930, if you're interested in that, uh, make a note of that. April 24th, we'll let you know where that will be uh, next week. But wanted to make you aware of that. You guys have a great Sunday. See you next week.
3: Stop the Lord Who can stop the Lord on my Who can stop the Lord on Who can stop the Lord Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the slave to
4: We never thought, North Carolina Baptist, that it would be under the title Ukraine Crisis that God would call us to stand up and take action, but he has prepared us for this point uh, through many uh, years, and we can see the history that he has connected us to this place for this time. Here I am, a missionary to Hungarian speaking people in the very last county of Hungary before you get to the Ukrainian border. And I'm so thankful to all North Carolina Baptists for your partnership over the years, for standing up for this time and joining us in ministry here i am at a help center that our partner organization hungarian baptist aid has set up right at the border to make sure that refugees the moment they step into the country are given a sandwich a smile a cup of coffee already we've had many volunteers come and help in these efforts hungarian baptist aid also has a logistics center set up in the heart of hungary that's managing all of the donations here locally uh, in the movement of, of people and items, North Carolina Baptist dollars are making a huge difference, tanking up minivans and buses to transport people and things. Thank you for these. Thank you for coming, thank you for giving, and thank you for your prayers. Pray for God's message to be delivered to these people in need right now. Every refugee and every volunteer, whether it's a Hungarian or a Ukrainian or an American. Because working together is making a difference here among the crisis that we see day to day. And we pray that, that through these crises, God's name would be glorified and many people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and might be relieved not only of the physical crisis here, but the crisis of their soul and come to be a member of our heavenly kingdom.
1: I love how God is working even in the middle of very difficult circumstances. Um, We are going to, two weeks from today, on Easter Sunday, uh, receive an offering to go directly to aid uh, that is coming through North Carolina Baptist to the folks who have fled Ukraine. Uh, For $2, uh, we are able to feed one person for a day. So when you think of what $2 may buy you. Uh, Now think of what $2 could do for someone else. Our goal and desire is 5,000 people fed uh, for a day. And so you will see next week in your seats, given envelopes, uh, they will be especially marked so that uh, they'll say love offering and what you put in them will go directly to this ministry. In addition, you will see On our online giving platform. If you give that way, there is now a Ukraine crisis giving opportunity there. And so you can give in that way. And we'll report how many people we've been able to be a part of their relief. Two weeks from today is Easter. And as such, you see these uh, tiny little invites in your seats. Uh, What they uh, announce are two things one is the Easter service. And on the flip side, our new sermon series that will begin on the family the week following Easter. And so uh, take these and invite someone to join you on Easter Sunday. In the last few months, we have seen several older people come to faith in Jesus. That is so exciting to us. And uh, so on Easter Sunday, we we know that uh, by and large, Older people get up earlier than younger people. All right, so a general rule of thumb. Not always, but a general rule of thumb. So on Easter Sunday, we're providing a breakfast at 7 a.m. until 7.45, and we're adding an 8 a.m. service that morning. So if you have a friend who would come and eat breakfast with you, it's free, it's good food, and they'll eat breakfast with you, and then they'll come in here and hear the gospel, uh, invite them. We talk about who's your one here a lot, meaning would you pray for God to lay someone on your heart, or perhaps they're there already, who you would love to join you for worship to hear the gospel. And uh, when they do, uh, perhaps that time or later, as the seeds are planted, they'll come to Jesus. Invite them on Easter Sunday and uh, We'll finish this series that day talking about Peter's uh, and Jesus' uh, meeting after Jesus was resurrected. Before we uh, uh, open in song, I have uh, some prayer needs to share with you. Candy Wassman, a member of our church, fell and broke uh, several bones and it has had two surgeries and is in um, care partners. Uh, please pray for her. Bill Mentink, a member of our church, Uh, his mother died yesterday morning. Be in prayer for Bill. Bunny Piercy, who is a member of our church, Bunny is quite sick. He's at home, and he is quite sick. Please be in prayer for Bunny. And then finally, we rejoice. The Huttons are normally in this service, Derek and Nikki, uh, but they are not today because yesterday they had a baby girl, and her name is Charlotte. And we're excited for Derek and Nikki and baby Charlotte that they have uh, brought into the world. And so be in prayer for them. We have come to worship the Lord this morning, and this song is a tune-up song. So what? however you've come in here this morning, if you sing the words of this song or pray the words of this song, it really has the opportunity to bring you to a place where you can hear from the Lord. Let's stand. Let's worship.
3: The song says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart, as Jerry said. We need our hearts tuned to sing thy grace. So this morning it's our prayer that as we sing this, that this is your prayer to the Lord, to tune your heart this morning, to search you and know you, and invite him to... Uh, to dwell in you. Let's worship, let's sing. Come thou fount of every blessing Time fixed upon in Mount Everest. Oh, you are my portion and you are my hiding place. I believe you are the way, the truth.